The following is a presentation of WAER Sports, the original home of the Orangemen. Yager in the slot. Play up high. It's Petrovic. Putting it in for Barkov ties it. Knights coming towards center. Here comes Carlson. Ahead with Schmidt. Two on one. Carlson on the right. He waits. He shoots. He scores! Hat-trick Carlson! Here's Provorov for the shot. Save rebound! He scores! Back-to-back games with goals for Provorov, and it's 1-0 Philadelphia. Cleaned up, and here comes Patrick Kane with space. Taves with him. Brief two-on-one. Here comes Kane with Taves. Kane shoots. He scores! Patrick Kane continues his tremendous run. Playoff hockey's crazy. And it'll be a little bit different this year for sure. The crowd that gasps with every bounce of the puck won't be there. There's no one there to harass players in the penalty box either. But what remains is this essence of hockey. The toughness, the intensity of the pursuit of the Stanley Cup. Welcome to Talk Back. I'm Cooper Boardman. Toronto and Edmonton are the sites. August 1 is the date, which means hockey's return isn't just this hope anymore. It's a plan. Two NHL announcers join us this week to unpack all of that. That includes the voice of the Florida Panthers, Steve Goldstein, who's a 1991 Syracuse grad. His Panthers are in the Toronto bubble, one of two cities, both of them Canadian, that the league has settled on for its restart. You know, they would have loved to do Vegas. That was the, you know, site originally. I know they kicked around L.A. and Chicago and a few other cities. Um, Number one, the Canadian dollar you know, is less than the U.S. dollar. So there's a big savings there, um, you know, on everything, hotels and food and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, I just think that, obviously, Canada, you know, it is what it is. The numbers are the numbers. They don't lie. Canada's done a better job of handling this than the United States has. So why not get out of here and uh, and go up there and do it? So I think it makes total sense. And Edmonton is a great setup. It's a fairly new arena. There's a new hotel that actually you don't even have to walk outside to get to the arena. Um, so I think the Edmonton setup for the Western Conference is going to be going to be fantastic. Everything guys need is going to be right there in the hotel. The Panthers are in the Eastern Conference setup in Toronto. They'll start playing in the qualification round, which is essentially a five-game playoff series. But when they do, Steve Goldstein will be in Florida. He's calling the games off a monitor for the first time in his career, which is different, but compared to the players he covers, it's giving up a lot less. I don't think he will have one hockey player and less worried about health. You got a guy like, um, you know, Max Domi has diabetes. You have some guys that have been through some things. Uh, From what I understand, those players, it may not even be in their hands because you know players. Same thing, and you go back like NFL, guys like Heinz Ward. Hey, don't tell me I can't play with it with a concussion. You know, it's it's my brain. If I want to worry about it when I'm 50 years old, let me do that. That's the way most of these guys are. I mean, it's a sprint to try to win a Stanley Cup. So without the family for three weeks, uh, you know, and, 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 and being locked up, if you want to call it that, they'll have all the amenities, but they can't go and do their normal things. I think every single NHL player in particular, I don't even think it's going to be a debate. I think team, hey, anybody opting out? And I think if someone, uh, teammates going to look at a guy and go, really? You're, you're leaving us? I mean, that's the way hockey is. And you look at the playoffs, guys play with broken bones, concussions. I mean, this is different. Obviously, if you, if you get this virus, you know, people have died. So it's a different ball game. But for the most part, um, I don't think players, hockey players worry all that much about those types of things, especially when, you know, if this was a regular season, 
maybe you'd have a few that say, hang on, let me wait a while. You got a sprint here. Eight weeks for your name to be on the Stanley Cup. I think they're all going to go for it. And, you know, no convincing needed. I think they're going to want to go for it. And largely what Goldstein says there is true. As of Monday, only six players had opted out. And even those who did, did so only out of necessity. Travis Hamanick of the Flames, one of the six players who opted out, said, quote, I wish I could lace up my skates and be out there battling, blocking a shot and helping the team win. But my family has and always will come first, end quote. And this is the one spot where your family and your personal life meets the professional side. And really, it's just one of many, many questions that need to be answered. Another good one is what level of play should we expect now? The top four teams in each conference play a few games, too. They're basically tune-up contests to decide seating. Jim Jackson is the TV voice of the Philadelphia Flyers and a 1985 SU alum. The Flyers, they're part of those tune-up games. How important is seating when you don't have home ice advantage? I mean, it does give you the last change, which is still an advantage I'm sure any coach would, would like to have. So there still is an advantage to being the home team, even though it's not home fans, but not the same home ice advantage as normal. So I think this, they'll be treated more like preseason games, getting everybody ramped up. I think the Flyers will probably play their backup goaltender some. They want to get him some action. If these games were all vital, they'd go with Carter Hart for all three games, right? So um, you're going to probably see some back, some of the players who might not even be in the games, get them out there to get them some games so they can all be ready in case of injuries or illness. So I think it'll be a different feel of those games and certainly the qualifying round where, the best of fives there are going to be, you know, winner, winner moves on, loser goes home. Jim Jackson does a really good job of explaining all of these decisions that organizations have to make because there's so much that goes into this bubbled postseason on and off the ice. And Jackson understands all of this so well because he's been the voice of the Flyers since 1993. He grew up in the Utica area. And before he got to Philly, he first went to the school about an hour west of Utica. It was a no brainer. In fact, from the time I, Decided I wanted to be a sports broadcaster, which was, I was pretty young. Um, I grew up in Utica, or at least just outside of Utica, New York Mills High. Um, I definitely, definitely wanted to go to Syracuse. That was my, my goal. Uh, it was all about getting to Newhouse, having the grades to get into Newhouse, doing enough of the extracurricular activities to get into Newhouse. And luckily I did. So yeah, that was my goal pretty early on. Jim Jackson was at SU from 1981 to 85, which means he was there for what a long time, was the greatest upset in Orange football history. 1984, Syracuse 17, number one Nebraska 9, and Jackson was on the call for WAER. The atmosphere wasn't spectacular because, again, they had, I think they had just beat up on UCLA the week before, and they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated, which actually should have given people hope, right? The, the SI jinx, but... Uh, they were just rumbling. They were a, a, a dynamo, and, and, and the Syracuse was not. We had, you know, we had Todd Norley was, was quarterbacking, and we didn't have a lot of guys that made it to the NFL off of that uh, team. I'm, this was not expected to be a great day. And I'm not even 100% sure the carry Dome was sold out. It probably was because they came to see Nebraska, but not 100% sure. So it wasn't like we went in with this great expectation. I went in with, oh, great. I got traded to this blowout at home instead of a trip to Florida, you know, or something like that. But, but then our defense played a great game. They just stayed in it. Uh, Dave Goldberg was with me on the call. He got the call, the, the big touchdown. And so it, it was just a lot of fun. It was one of those things that the longer that the, the Orange stayed in the game, 
the, the, the more exciting it got, he said, hey, could they actually pull this off? And they did. It wasn't like a classic game or anything. It was a defensive struggle, but our defense played a great game. They won, and uh, I, I got to brag about that all the time. A year after that game, Jim Jackson graduated from SU. Jackson went home to Utica, where he called minor league baseball in the New York Penn League and American League hockey for the Utica Devils. His tenure with the Devils saw Marty Brodeur two years before he won New Jersey's first Stanley Cup. But after Brodeur's final AHL season, the Devils cut their ties with the affiliate in Utica, which left Jackson without a job far, far away from an NHL call. It was strange. Um, I had actually gone to work when the Devils left town for the Utica Bulldogs of the Colonial Hockey League in sales, and I was going to do the radio, but I, I really knew that I just got married. It was a year and a half into my marriage. There's no way I was going to be able to do that and make, you know, start a family and all that. So that was just to, to hold me over. But while I was doing that uh, was when I got the first call from Anaheim on the tape I had sent out quite a while back because they were an expansion team. And I was in the running for that job into the final three. And then they, they offered me the job, but they took a long time. I was just trying to negotiate a deal. I wasn't asking for a lot, believe me, but th you know, they had a lot going on expansion team. So it took them a while. And one day I was, I was literally talking to Ken Wilson from the mighty ducks and they were mighty then. And I got this, the, the secretary from the bulldogs comes in, puts the slip on my desk line two, M Piazza from Philadelphia flyers. And I'm like, well, it must have something to do with the Bulldogs. Maybe we signed as a secondary affiliation or something. I didn't know about it. I couldn't figure out what it was about. It was Mark Piazza, who's one of my best friends and, and now. Uh, and he, he said to me, uh, yeah, we're really interested in you. You're in the final grouping for our radio play-by-play -play job. And I kind of I laughed. And he goes, I know why you're laughing. And I said, you do? I said, yeah, you're talking with Anaheim, aren't you? So it had already gotten out there. And I said, you, you uh, obviously uh, have done your research here. Uh, but they flew me down to Philly and interviewed me like the next day. By the time I got back, the contract offer was on the fax machine at the Bulldogs office. Uh, they, they wanted me. And um, it was closer to home. My mother-in-law at the time was, was sick. And Eric Lindros was here. Of course, the Flyers were going to win a cup before the Ducks, right? Oops. But bottom line is, I, I, I certainly do not regret the decision. It's a great organization, a great sports city. Uh, was able to pick up the Phillies in, in 07 and get a ring and be part of a championship season there. And hopefully can still be part of a championship season with the Flyers there before I hang them up. But uh, yeah, it was a decision I do not regret. And um, yeah, it was weird. You don't have a, even a nibble for six years. I had not even a call back nothing from any NHL team. And I had sent some tapes out over the course of the six years doing the devil. And all of a sudden I had two offers at once. It was surreal. Surreal has led to more than two decades with the Flyers. And then on top of that, Jackson has another gig in town. And the 0-1. Swing and a long drive. Deep left field. That ball is long. Gone. Goodbye. And two more RBI to that total. He's done it again. Reese Hoskins, his fifth home run in the last five games. His 17th in his 33rd Major League game. A two-run shot. And the Phillies now Jackson's the pre- and post-game host for the Phillies radio broadcast, and as you heard there, he does some play-by-play, -play too, when it doesn't conflict with hockey. This year, there's hockey, there's baseball. It's a little bit different. Flyers is my number one gig. I'm the television voice for that, so uh, that always takes precedence. But again, we will only do the three round robins in the first round. Uh, then networks will come in, as they usually do, for the last uh, three rounds. 
So uh, at most, I'm talking three, 10 games, maybe a preseason game, maybe 11 dates. That's if the first round series goes the full seven. If they broadcast the preseason game, which is still up for debate, it could be seven dates, right? Three and four. Um, and they might not all conflict, uh, conflict with the, the Phillies because there are some afternoon Phillies games or there will be some afternoon Flyers games, I'm sure. And I've done some doubleheaders in my day. And it'll be easy to do doubleheaders because I'll be here. I'll, I'll be in Philadelphia. It's not like there's going to be any travel that's going to be part of this. There were times in my early years with the Phillies. I started in 07 with the Phillies. The Phillies were in the playoffs 07, 08, 09, 10, and 11. And the Flyers were in the playoffs those five years too, pretty much. So there was big time crossover. And that was when I was traveling. I was going on site for both teams. So it was wild and crazy. I remember I did a Phillies playoff game. It was 07. I did a Phillies playoff game against Colorado here and then flew after the game to Chicago, slept, jumped on a flight from Chicago to Calgary and did the Flyers season opener against the Flames the next night. I watched game two of the Phillies playoff series in my hotel room as I was doing prep for the Flyers game. And it was like at 11 a.m. because it was a two-hour time difference. It was a one o'clock game in Philadelphia or whatever. And I remember sitting there. I've been on a plane or sleeping pretty much nonstop since I left the ballpark it was almost like a double header, and I was just missing the nightcap. It was, it was kind of a surreal feeling watching game two of that on TV when I was there, which seemed like a couple hours before doing game one, and then going and doing a season opener for a hockey team that night. Um, and then we moved on and played Edmonton, and then the Phillies went to Colorado. The Phillies were able to win game three and force game four. I was going to go from uh, Edmonton back to Colorado for games four and possibly five back in Philly of that series because the Flyers didn't play in Vancouver for another four days. And they were actually going to um, Whistler for a team bonding thing after their second game of the season. So for me, it was either a vacation in Whistler or going back and doing playoff baseball. As it turned out, the, the Phillies got swept. And um, I remember that I got the text as I landed in Vancouver because it was getting tight, whether I would go with the team on their bus to Whistler or get on a plane and go to, Colorado, they, they, they landed, my, my phone said, enjoy Whistler <laughs> from, from, uh, from, the, uh, from Rob Brooks of the, the Phillies. In other words, we lost. So uh, that, that's, uh, you know, that was wild and crazy back then, the traveling going on. So this will be really probably less wild than that. If I'm doing a, a Phillies game, it's going to be at Citizens Bank Park or right here for road pre and post. Um, and for the Flyers, I'll be at Wells Fargo Center. Um, so it's easy for me to do a day game, let's say, at Wells Fargo Center and go over and do a night game across the street at, at uh, the ballpark or come here for, for the night game. So I, I envision maybe some doubleheaders in my future. Jackson's one of many who have and will continue to juggle broadcast. It's part of the industry on TV and on the radio. In a lot of cases, you're constantly moving between baseball, basketball, football, hockey. In Steve Goldstein's case, his job with the Florida Panthers wasn't even necessarily the end goal. When I didn't necessarily want to be in hockey, I just wanted to be a sports announcer. And, you know, in my era, and I guess that's kind of ending now, I think in some ways, but everybody in my group, you know, Ian Eagle, who was in school with me, and a bunch of other guys, um, and before me, and even right after me, everybody th thought of radio. You know, it was, hey, I want to be on the, I want to do sports on the radio. It really wasn't the big goal for TV because we all grew up in an era where 
our entire lives. We don't always have cable TV. Every game was not on television, but it was always on the radio. So if you ask guys in my era, my age group, no matter where they're from, it's usually their guys they grew up with listening on the radio. For me, it was Marv Albert, Bob Murphy, listening to Met games, and Jim Gordon, who did the Giants on the radio. Um, so, no, it was just a matter of you, you, want, you want to do sports and didn't know whether that would be talk. And, and I've pretty much done everything. I did radio talk shows, morning drive. Um, and it just happened to work out that, you know, the radio station in Miami where I was doing the morning show, the Panthers were on the station. They need someone to do pre and post game. I did that for like five or six years and then seven years and then filled in a couple of times doing play by play. And then when the radio job opened, they offered it to me. It was as simple as that. That path is a common one, especially on the radio side. There's a kind of romanticism with sports on the radio. In baseball, it's the crackle of an old dial that signifies summer. Hockey is cool because the TV and the radio calls are so similar. Gets it in over the line. Petrovic along the boards. Good play by Alex Petrovic. It's an art to keep up, to describe, and to detail. Barkov is in. Barkov drop pass. Huberto shoots and scores. Hoobie dooby doo. One-nothing Panthers. A rifle of a shot. For Steve Goldstein, that's a foundation that started all the way back in the Carrier Dome. Well, the final game against Georgetown, Billy Owens was all alone in the free throw line. The last game I did as a senior against G-Town in the Dome, like 33,000. And he had to hit both free throws. There was no time left. He got fouled at the buzzer. So there was nobody in the lane. He was all alone on the free throw line, and, and he hit them both, and Syracuse went on to win the game. So that one was, was pretty nuts. You can hear the excitement in Goldstein's voice there as he recounts it because it's cool to be a part of that, to say you were one of the 33,048, which was an NCAA record crowd at the time. This is true on Saturday afternoons at the Carrier Dome for Big East basketball, and it's true in the NHL as well, especially the NHL, because there's no game tougher than hockey and there are no players that want to be there more than hockey. So we asked Steve Goldstein, what's the toughest thing you've ever seen a hockey player do? Well, I know Noel Achari is now in the Panthers, but last season, you know, when the Bruins made the cup and lost to the Blues, he was on Boston and he literally, you know, he literally had a broken body. Like his whole, whatever is the sternum, or it was broken. So, you know, when you make the comment, like, joking, hey, he's all, he's, his body is broken and he's still playing. Noel Achari literally had a broken body. I think he missed three or four games. Um, I think Gregory Campbell, if you remember him, he used to play for the Panthers. It's Colin Campbell's son, actually. He went to Boston. And in the, maybe the cup run that they, when, when they won it, or maybe it was the one they lost to Chicago, uh, he literally had a broken leg and wouldn't leave the ice. I mean, there's video of it everywhere. Um, I know because I was a big Ranger fan growing up in 94. Um, I think Kevin Lowe had like a grade one separated shoulder for like the entire playoffs and played through it. So uh, Panthers used to have a guy named Robert Svela, took a puck in the face once. I think it was like 40 or 50 stitches. Could not talk for like a month. Missed three shifts. Went back, missed three shifts after the intermission, came back. So there's a you know, a lot of those stories. So maybe you're right. Hockey players are nuts. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Definitely. And that's a fact that won't change when games are in a bubble. It doesn't matter if the only ones there are the teams. Hockey has its own code of toughness 
and of respect. And all of that is going to persist once it begins again, no matter where it is or what it looks like. We're going to hear skates and hits, and even if the handshake line looks different this time, the feeling behind it will be the same. Thanks for joining us for our 15th episode, and a reminder to subscribe to Talk Back on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, a huge thank you to Steve Goldstein and Jim Jackson for their time. This is a WAER Sports Podcast produced by Carl Moglein, along with reporting from Gil Gross and Corey Spector. I'm Cooper Boardman. We'll talk to you next week.